Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome everyone to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. We're still more than half a year away from the next Ontario election, and yet the TV ads for the political parties are all over the place these days. We'll tell you what they're saying and why they're showing up now. Last week, the NDP unveiled their star candidate. This week, the Liberals introduced theirs. And guess what? They're both contesting the same Toronto riding. We'll tell you more about who the Liberals will run in Don Valley West. Stephen Del Duca is making some ambitious promises and vows he'll resign if he doesn't keep them. We'll tell you what the Liberal leader has up his sleeve. And the new QR codes are here. We'll get you caught up on what that means if you want to go to a restaurant, a hockey game, or a movie. It's Tuesday, October 19th, 2021, so let's get to it. Okay, JMM, let's start with last Friday's big announcement. Bring us up to date on that. So the government has started rolling out the new updated vaccine passports for people in Ontario, and uh, it comes in two parts. Uh, the first are these QR codes that people can download from the province's website. Uh, and the second part is an app for Android and iPhones uh, that can scan the QR codes. Uh, the government had set a, a deadline of uh, having them out by uh, October 22nd. Uh, they have uh, beat that deadline by about a week. Uh, these QR codes are uh, more secure and easier to use than the previous receipts. So that's uh, why they are uh, in a hurry to get them out. And how do people get them? Uh, well, for the QR codes, uh, those can be downloaded directly from the province's website. It's the same website where people got their vaccine receipts last time. Uh, that is, of course, if you've got uh, one of the current green health cards. Uh, if you are one of the people who is on the uh, older red and white cards or you don't have a health card, uh, or if you are just not <laughs> super proficient with computers, uh, you can call 1-833-943-3900 and they can get you started. Uh, as for the app, uh, most people probably won't actually need it at all. Uh, it's mainly for businesses who want to check people's status at the door. Uh, that said, the app is free to download uh, for anyone with an iPhone or Android phone. Uh, I have to confess, I put it on my phone and, uh, you know, futzed around with it a little bit uh, on Friday. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a very simple, straightforward app. Um, but again, it, unless you are... I don't know, maybe holding a very large family gathering at Christmas and you want to check everybody's vaccine uh, status. Uh, I, I can't imagine why most people would need the app itself. Just want to check one thing with you. Futzed is a technical term that your generation uses. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yes. It's a highly, highly technical term, along with kludged and a few others. <laughs> Got it. OK. Now, a question. Do people have to do this? Uh, not right now, no. Uh, you can still uh, fumble around for your piece of paper uh, proving that you've been vaccinated. Uh, the government may require people to switch over at some point in the future. That was a possibility that was sort of um, discussed vaguely in the technical briefing on Friday, uh, but that's not happening now, and I can't imagine it would happen without uh, a pretty substantial warning period. For now, if you have the vaccine certificate receipt that you uh you know printed out when the government first announced this you know back in september that will continue to work for at least a while longer will this new app store your personal information 
It does not collect any uh, personal health information. Uh, it does collect some very sort of general sort of um, uh data about the the use of the app itself it does not collect any personal health information um it, is, it also it, because of the the design they've chosen it it actually doesn't even need to be connected to the internet to work which i find very interesting um so no i mean the the point of the app is very much uh, putting people's privacy uh front and center uh, I, I suppose there are uh privacy advocates who would say that none of this is uh, terribly privacy friendly because of course we are asking people to, to disclose their vaccination status. Uh, but within the bounds of that policy, uh, the app is is uh, designed to really protect people's privacy. And, and that, by the way, is why they are not using it to um, in combination with some of the contact tracing apps that we've had uh, around just uh, for more than a year now. Um, because the contact tracing apps need to collect uh, information that the uh, verification app doesn't. So they want to keep those totally separate and, and not risk a potential privacy hole there. I guess we should call the thing by its proper name. It's actually called Verify Ontario. And even though it's got Ontario in the name, can it read QR codes from other provinces? Uh, yes, it can. Uh, not uh, all provinces yet uh, have issued these same kinds of Q QR codes, but uh, this is a, um, like a standardized implementation that uh, all, I suspect all the provinces are going to get on eventually. Um, but uh, numerous provinces, including, uh, I believe, BC and Alberta, uh, I think there's some issue with Manitoba at the moment. The government would obviously prefer that the app work with as many uh, provincial QR codes as possible just to make it easier for everybody. And let's do one other COVID-related follow-up here. We learned last week that there are still, you know, really thousands upon thousands of healthcare workers who are unvaccinated. And the premier has again encouraged them to get the jab, but he is leaving it to the hospitals themselves to decide whether to make it mandatory. What's the thinking there? You know, the premier and you know presumably the health minister uh, are worried about the possibility of labor shortages you know we already have a shortage of nurses in ontario's hospitals and long-term care homes and so there's a, a concern about doing anything that would make that even worse than it already is um, that said you know the ontario hospital association among others uh, you know have backed all of the previous measures the government has implemented to to push more healthcare workers into getting vaccinated so it will be interesting to see you know what the government does if in response to this you know open letter the premier has sent you know if hospital operators come back and say uh, yes give us the, the the vaccine mandate and we'll figure out the rest you know that that will put the onus back on the government to do something. Now, that's the hospital sector. We should say that the clock is ticking on the long-term care sector because the government has decided that all PSWs, personal support workers who work in long-term care, must be vaccinated by the middle of November. Other provinces have also made those demands, but then backed off for fear of losing long-term care workers. Any sense that Ontario may be considering easing off as well? Not yet. Uh, as you mentioned, I mean, Quebec, uh, I think, is probably the largest province that has uh, had to back off or at least you know, postpone its uh, deadline for vaccinations. But um, so far uh, in Ontario, it is uh, it is full steam ahead. Uh, you know, this is obviously a sector where uh, in most long term care homes, the very, very large majority of workers are vaccinated. But there have been outbreaks uh, connected to, you know, some homes where uh, it's, you know, 
still more than half, but you know, less than 80%, some cases less than 70% of the staff have been vaccinated. All right, let's talk. You're going to think I'm crazy here because I want to talk baseball on the On Poly <laughs> podcast. Why does he want to talk baseball? Well, follow me, if you will. There I was last Thursday night watching Game 5 of the National League Divisional Series between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants, as I'm sure, John Michael, you were as well. Maybe yes. Not. Okay. Yes, I was. Those are two <laughs> baseball teams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. OK. And well, what did I see during many of the uh, between innings commercial breaks? Political ads from Ontario. Lots of them, actually. In this case, it was the PC party that was running ads and they were what's called contrast ads, which is a nice way of saying they were designed to attack both NDP leader Andrea Horvath and liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. So let's dive into this for a bit. We are seeing these ads now, even though we're still seven and a half months away from the next election. How come? Well, uh, the Ford government brought in these new uh, election advertising laws. You may recall back in June, they used the notwithstanding clause to um, overcome a a court challenge. Uh, There are strict rules that kick into place uh, six months before the election. Uh, So they are taking advantage of being just outside of that window. We are, uh, what, uh, seven and a half months, as you say. Uh, So they are, you know, they have money to spend. So they are going to spend it before uh, the new rules kick in. So that's the why it's happening now. Let's listen to a little bit of what they're saying in the ads. Andrea Horvath is a politician that says one thing and does another. She talks about tackling the housing crisis, but opposes building more homes. She says she stands with workers, but supports job-killing red tape. She talks about how expensive everything is, but plans to raise your taxes. She says she's against gridlock, but opposes building new highways. Ontario NDP's Andrea Horvath, a politician that says one thing and does another. Okay, just for fun, let's talk about how accurate that ad is, okay? Let's go through this. Point number one. Horvath apparently talks about tackling the housing crisis, but opposes building more homes. John Michael, true or false? Uh, I would say false. Uh, You know, neither the NDP nor Andrew Horvath oppose building new homes. Uh, They have opposed building new homes in environmentally sensitive areas, or uh, they have opposed the province's use of ministerial zoning orders to uh, overrule local planning rules. Uh, You know, that's obviously a a more nuanced position than you can get into a 30-second ad, uh, and it probably only speaks to planning nerds like me, uh, but it would also be more accurate. (laughs) Okay, point number two. She says she stands with workers, but opposes job-killing red tape. True or false? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> one person's job killing red tape is another person's reasonable regulation meant to ensure clean water, clean air, worker safety, that kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, again, it's really in the eye of the beholder. Point number three, she plans to raise your taxes. True or false? This one is almost certainly false. Uh, if you are hearing this advertisement on the radio or, or watching it on TV, uh, unless you are in one of society's highest income brackets, it's just not really the case. Um, I, you know, I didn't hear the ad make that distinction. Um, you know, it just says your taxes. Well, you know, if you make a half a million dollars a year, yeah, she might go after you. <laughs> uh, but for the vast majority of Ontarians, people uh, who uh, are not in that, you know, top 1%, uh, there's no indication that the NDP are going to, you know, come after them with tax increases. Let's keep going. Here's point number four. She's against gridlock, the ad says, but opposes building new highways. And the graphic 
Over that, voiceover says Highway 413. Again, true or false? Now, this is accurate. This might, might be the only one in the ad. Um, yes, uh, the NDP and Andrea Orov have, have uh, opposed building the 413 highway. And, you know, so do a lot of other people who, uh, you know, don't think that we need this, you know, brand new 400 series, multi-billion dollar highway. Um, the proponents say that, you know, we need more highways to alleviate traffic congestion. But, you know, <laughs> there's a history to this stuff. And every time we have built a new highway, it has encouraged more people to drive and it becomes congested in very short order. And that's not just an Ontario story either. Uh, so, you know, it's open to question as to whether building the 413 really makes any sense, uh, even in, even on its own terms of reducing congestion. You know, the previous Liberal government estimated that uh, when it was complete, the 413 might save commuters less than a minute in ter- terms of total travel time. Uh, the current government says it could be as much as 30 minutes. But, you know, you gotta warn people about this stuff. There's a, a real history of just rosy, optimistic projections behind these kinds of projects. All right. I think the people who look at these ads and try to discern their truthfulness uh, give out, um, well, I guess they measure it in terms of Pinocchios. How many Pinocchios do you want to give that ad, as in how truthful was it? Uh, It's not great. Um, I I don't know. Are we doing this on a scale of four or five? I do want to say that on the housing charge, uh, you know, I, I'm a bit of a housing nerd, but, you know, the, the Tories are doing something here that every political party does. And I, I have to say, it drives me a little bit nuts. Uh, basically, they're saying that, you know, if you don't want to build housing the specific way that the Tories do, you don't support building new homes. But, you know, politics is about disagreement and parties disagree about how best to accomplish things. That's that's how it's supposed to work. So, you know, just because the NDP don't agree with Steve Clark's use of MZOs doesn't mean that they are intrinsically opposed to building new homes. Okay, that was a look at the ad against the opposition leader, Andrea Horvath. Let's look at the other contrast ad that the Tories are running. This one is against the Liberals. And it starts with a claim that Stephen Del Duca wants to, quote, take us back to the Kathleen Wynne days. Remember life under Kathleen Wynne? Stephen Del Duca wants to take us back. He was Wynne's right-hand man when they sent your Hydra bill skyrocketing. Sold Hydra One, all while liberal insiders got rich. He sat in cabinet while good-paying jobs fled the province, remained idle while creating only 611 new long-term care beds, leaving our most vulnerable unprepared for the pandemic. Ontario crumbled under Kathleen Wynne and Stephen Del Duca. Let's not go back. Okay, I don't think this one's going to be that tough, but true or false? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, Stephen Del Duca lost his seat uh, running for the Liberals alongside Kathleen Wynne in the 2018 election. Uh, So I'm going to guess he probably doesn't want to go back to that. (laughs) I think you're on solid ground with that one. The ad then goes on to say that Del Duca is, quote unquote, Wynne's right hand man. True or false? I mean, He was a cabinet minister and, you know, for much of uh, her government, he, he, he held the important transportation file. But really, they just weren't that close uh, in politics. It, it, it feels false to me. You know, uh, yes, uh, Wynne did put Del Duca in the cabinet, but they were always pretty cool to each other, I thought. <laughs> hmm. 
Uh, obviously, the Tories are trying to tie Del Duca to the win years, but the notion that he was the former premier's right-hand man is quite hilarious, actually, because, um, and incidentally, the NDP made the same claim in their attack ads, which I wrote about on the TVO website last week, and the claim was no truer in those ads either. Uh, right-hand man, no. Um, bosom buddies, <laughs> definitely not. Next point, the Liberals only created 611 net new long-term care beds, leaving our seniors unprepared for the pandemic. That's the claim in the Tory ad. What do you think of that one? So I, I will say that this number, the, the 611 beds number, that comes from a very specific report that was about the long-term care sector uh, that looked really at the last half of the Liberal tenure in government. Uh, but the Liberals did add substantially more than 611 long-term care beds in the first half of their 15 or so years in power. So the number isn't false exactly. It's just not the whole story. That said, it's it's a bit of a jaw-dropping charge for the Tories to make, given how seniors fared during the pandemic. I mean, there is ample evidence that uh, despite the Premier's uh, stated desire to create an iron ring around long-term care homes, you know, the government badly botched protecting those homes from COVID-19. And as a result, the majority of deaths due to COVID-19 in this province have happened in long-term care homes, uh, you know, we remember this. This was not that long ago. They had to call in the Canadian Armed Forces to help sort things out. And uh, honestly, you know, we probably only learned some of the horrors that people were living through and dying through uh, because those Canadian Forces members then uh, leaked some of what they saw to the press. So uh, I just it's 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 an appalling thing to say. Hmm. All right. Well, the, those are a couple of the contrast ads that the Tories are running right now. So if you see them, yes, you'll hear the claims that the government is making, but now you will also know the rest of the story, which is a little more fact-based than these ads clearly are. Let's do a little pivot here and talk about a speech that the Liberal leader, Stephen Del Duca, gave on Sunday. It was chock full of rather ambitious policy pronouncements, capped off by a promise to resign if he becomes the Premier of Ontario and doesn't implement all these promises. JMM, if you would, take us through a few of the commitments that Del Duca made in his speech last Sunday. So uh, this was interesting. The, the Liberal leader promised to bring in uh, ranked ballots for Ontario elections. This is where uh, voters would be able to, you know, pick multiple candidates in a riding. And, you know, as a for example, a voter could say, well, I like the Conservative in my riding, but if they don't win, then I'd prefer the, the Liberal or, you know, the NDP or the People's Party or whoever. Um, he also promised a citizens' assembly on other democratic reforms, including dropping the voting age to 16, uh, promised to bring back the universal basic income pilot that was brought in first by Kathleen Wynne and then cancelled by uh, the Ford government early on in its tenure. Uh, and finally, he said uh, he would start a pilot project looking at a four-day work week here in Ontario. Now, let's state the obvious here. When you're the leader of the third place party in the legislature, when you only have seven seats and when you, the leader, don't have a seat yourself, you kind of got to do what you got to do to get some attention. So to that end, did this work? You know, it certainly, I think, got more people talking about the you know, annual general meeting of the Liberal Party of Ontario, uh, the third party in the legislature, as we say. Uh, it's, it got more people talking than you might have seen otherwise. Um, 
I'm not sure if the the old saw about there being no such thing as bad publicity still applies in 2021. Uh, but I, I do want to say, you know, not all of the attention that Del Duca garnered for his promises was good. A lot of people are still very cynical about liberals promising electoral reform and, you know, frankly, not without reason. Well, in fact, uh, it's undoubtedly because Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, well, he wasn't prime minister at the time, but he did promise to bring in, um, well, an end to first-past-the-post elections. He said it was going to be proportional representation going forward, and then he broke that commitment uh, quite famously and upset a lot of people by doing so. And in fact, Del Duca mentioned in his speech, I know there are other liberal leaders, there are other politicians who've made these promises and not followed through on them, which is why I'm promising to resign if I don't go through with it. Now, before Del Duca's speech to the Liberal Party this weekend, we actually saw our first poll of Ontario Party standings in a long time. Post Media commissioned this poll from the firm Leger, and it's got the Progressive Conservatives, the government, in first place at 35%, the Liberals behind them with 30%, the NDP at 25%, and the Greens in their traditional fourth place position at 5%. Now, that's among decided voters, and as I always like to do, we want to remind people that polls don't tell you anything more than what voters thought in the snapshot of a moment that they answered the question. In this case, it was earlier in October. These polls are not predictive, obviously, as to what is going to happen next June. But I guess, JMM, it's an interesting uh, read on the current state of play. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, people might remember that uh, earlier this year, the Tories were really struggling in the polls. And I'm thinking, you know, March, April, the third wave, the... Um, really um, disastrous uh, attempt to try and like, you know, lock down playgrounds again, that stuff. You know, the government had a, a really uh, low ebb in the polls. Some polls showed uh, Stephen Del Duca and the Liberals uh, leading. Uh, that, that would have actually been, you know, the first time in years that the Liberals were actually in first place in Ontario polls again. <laughs> um, that seems to have subsided for now. Uh, you know, Doug Ford and, and progressive conservatives are back in the lead. Uh, but these numbers don't really put the Tories in majority territory, uh, certainly not comfortably. And, you know, that's a problem because, uh, or at least it's a problem for the Tories, because uh, the leader of the official opposition, uh, Andrew Horvath, has has already said that if it's a minority after the 2022 election, uh, if the Tories do not have a, a, an outright majority of seats, uh, she will work to defeat them uh, in whatever role she she has, either as a second or third party. So uh, the Tories, you know, it's good to be in first and it's better to be in first than second. Um, but those numbers don't uh, give the Tories a lot of security right now. Yeah, let me add two things to that. Number one, you're quite right. It's good to be in first place. And if you're the progressive conservatives right now with an election seven and a half months away, they are within spitting distance, let's put it that way, of getting a majority government. And that's certainly a, a pretty good place to be. You, you wouldn't want to be 20 points away from no. uh, re-election. If they're three, four, five points away from being re-elected with a majority right now, that's not a bad spot to be in. You're also quite right in as much as Andrea Horvath has said, there's no such thing as a Tory minority. If they've got a minority, I'll do what I can to defeat them and bring in another party um, uh, to form the government. What we have yet to hear is Stephen Del Duca on this question. I don't believe that he has weighed in on the issue of whether or not if push came to shove and the Tories had a minority, whether he would defeat them and then potentially, if she's still in second place, make Andrea Horvath the premier. I have not heard that scenario uh, discussed yet, but uh, 
We've still got lots of time to discuss scenarios, but I haven't heard him weigh in on that yet. And I, I'm thinking next time I get a chance to talk to him at a press conference, maybe I will ask that very question <laughs> if you don't beat me to it. Okay, on to star candidates. Now, last week we talked about the fact that the NDP had introduced a new so-called star candidate, Erwin Elman, the former child advocate for Ontario, whose job incidentally was eliminated by the current government. Now it is the Liberals who are responding in kind with a star candidate of their own. So, JMM, tell us all about Stephanie Bowman and where she intends to plant her flag. Uh, Stephanie Bowman is the former senior vice president at Scotiabank. She was previously on the board of the Bank of Canada. Uh, she told reporters last week she doesn't like the direction the province is going in, so she has uh, stepped up to run uh, as a liberal uh, in a pretty notable riding. Uh Kathleen Wynne's uh, riding Don Valley West. Now, there was some controversy about Bowman's getting that nomination because apparently Don Valley West is a riding that the Liberal Party decided must have a female candidate. What's that all about? So when Stephen Del Duca was running for leader, he made clear that half of his candidates uh, would be female, and uh, they are actually doing a little better than half right now. Uh, he also promised that the Liberals would run 30 candidates under the age of 30. They haven't uh, yet hit that uh, benchmark. So yes, uh, Don Valley West was set aside as a riding reserved for uh, female candidates only. Uh, I think there might have also been a consideration that uh, you don't necessarily want to uh, succeed the first female premier in the province's history with a generic white man, to put it bluntly. Um, but uh, there are uh, some other candidates who were complaining about this, including uh, some candidates of color, men of color. Uh, but, you know, Stephen Del Duca says these benchmarks were put in place months ago. Uh, he, you know, ran unambiguously for the leadership on these uh, benchmarks. And the party thinks that they're important priorities. Uh, because, again, I believe you got to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And so, Stephanie is a phenomenal candidate. She has lived in Don Valley West with her family for more than two decades. Uh, she brings all of the skills, the talent, and the experience to help Ontario Liberals demonstrate clearly that we will form a government should we win next year's election. I guess we are going to find out whether or not Don Valley West is a Liberal riding, which it has been since 2003, or whether it was really a Kathleen Wynne riding. Exactly. You know, there is a tendency in politics to assume that uh, if someone's held a riding for a long time, it must be because uh, the riding leans to that MPP's party. Uh, but oftentimes it's because the riding likes the member uh, and it has a lot less to do with their party. Uh, we can remember that in 2018, uh, Wynne only carried her own riding by four-tenths of a percentage point, I believe. Uh, it was 181 votes out of uh, about 35,000 cast. Uh, so, you know, the people who knew her best did re-elect her, but it was a, a really close thing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether the Liberals can hold this riding in, in next June's election. Uh, we can also remember that, yes, the NDP star candidate, Erwin Elman, is running in the same riding. So this is going this contest is going to get uh, a lot of attention next June 2nd. And we should say as well, we did bring you uh, some sound from Erwin Elwin's kickoff news conference last week. And as a result, just to keep things even and fair, we had hoped to bring you some sound from Stephanie Bowman's news conference. Uh, but um what do we say here? The audio on her Zoom call was truly atrocious. It was unusable. So I'm afraid we don't have that. You know, I'm just going to say that uh, I, I actually don't think this was Ms. Bowman's fault. I have uh, 
so many difficulties with internet service and I live and work in downtown Toronto. So uh, we can blame one of Canada's two internet companies. <laughs> but we're not going to say which ones they are because we don't want to get sued. No, no, we, we don't want to get TVO in that much trouble. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully the listeners have heard us A-OK, and so we'll conclude this podcast as we always do with our favorite quotes of the week, and we'll have those for you immediately after we ask you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We love your feedback. Tell us what you liked, what you didn't, and help make this little podcast a little bit better. You can also shoot us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. Here now is my quote of the week, and I want to go back to last Friday's news conference in which questions were asked about whether it makes sense to put 19,000 screaming fans in the Scotiabank Arena for a Leaf game, but restaurants, gyms, and bars, they still have to operate at half capacity. Here is Ontario's Medical Officer of Health, Kieran Moore, on that. Um, we're preparing a consolidated plan for this government to review uh, next week. Uh, and uh, I would ask that our business partners stay tuned. We'll provide dates and timelines uh, and data by which uh, we anticipate further opening of the economy uh, in a staged, phased and cautious approach that will best protect Ontarians and our businesses and allow us to step forward and not step backwards. Ontario's Medical Officer of Health, sure sounding, like some changes for restaurants, bars and gyms, maybe coming soon. And my quote of the week comes from Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, uh, speaking to his party's annual general meeting on Sunday. I'm going to acknowledge that my opponents have good ideas. Mike Schreiner has recently released a housing plan that includes concepts that should be considered. Andrea Horvath has consistently spoken about the need for big change in long-term care. And Doug Ford, even Doug Ford, an individual who I've said does not have the capacity to adequately lead our province, even he has increased the amount we invest as a province in high-speed broadband. Saying these words does not diminish me. It strengthens all of us. That's Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca doing something politicians, I think, sometimes struggle with, uh, finding nice things to say about their opponents. And every time something like that happens, John Michael, I get emails from people saying, I wish we could hear more of that. They do like it when politicians can come together on the big things. So stay tuned. That is the On Poly podcast for this week, produced by Katie O'Connor, edited by Matthew O'Mara, production support from Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell. JMM, as my dad likes to say, stay positive, test negative. Stay safe, Steve. <laughs> <laughs>